everybody. My name is Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. I just want to say up front, I don't normally text in a meeting. The rule is my 13-year-old is at home, so my phone stays out, and she knows it better be an emergency. Okay, so thanks for asking me to share. Um, I think um, I got a phone call um, from Mike uh, the other day, and he said, from Tonopah, we need a speaker, and, you know, I said, okay, so how'd you find me? And he goes, well, I called Intergroup, and there's a whole list of them, and and you weren't the last one on there, but, you know, so we'll decide after this meeting if he was glad that I answered the phone. He's like, you answered the phone, so I guess that's the only qualification I need. Um, okay, so my home group is Happy Valley Group. Um, that's on 39th Avenue in Happy Valley, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And at our home group, we give our sobriety date, so I'll just get that out of the way so you don't have to try and figure it out. It's June 4th, 1995. Um, my story is, I don't know, not necessarily um, like a lot of people's. Um, it is like a certain group of people's, but I can tell you that You know, just like we all know, the feelings and the actions are all the same. Um, My drinking career was really about from ages 18 to 24. And um, when I was growing up, I was the only child with my parents. Uh, My dad had been married before. And um, we didn't know it at the time. Um, This was in the 70s. Um, I'm 41, in case you're wondering. I'll be 42 this year. Um, Sad, but true. Um, So back in the 70s, um, when I was growing up, my parents were considered older. Like my mom was 29 when she had me. My dad was 36. And so they didn't relate to the other parents of the friends around me. So what we didn't know at the time was My mom suffered from severe depression, and my dad um, suffered from severe anxiety. So not knowing this, um, you know, I grew up in a house where my mom was locked in her office reading romance novels all day long, and my dad was at work, and then he'd come home and sit in his chair, and uh, it was kind of like, don't bother me. And so everything was about always wanting to be loved and getting you to like me. You know, I was, always had to be the center of attention. I always had all these activities going on, and I had to be the star. And my dad would kind of, he would pay attention to me when I was doing those things. My mom was just kind of out in her own world. I mean, they did the best they could. You know, so I was always looking for the answer. I was always looking to feel better. And, you know, if I got a good friend, I just would suffocate you. Um I wanted other kids' parents to be like, or my parents to be like other kids' parents, you know, the ones that would say, oh, sweetie, oh, honey, and give you a hug and show you affection and all that. And it wasn't like that in our house. And so, you know, I would just do all kinds of things because I craved that. And um, so growing up, um, you know, it was all about me. Like, when is it? And, um, you know, I had all these activities and whatever, and the first time I ever take a drink wasn't even about to take a drink. It was about I want to be cool, and I want everybody to like me. And I used to be a figure skater, and I was 12 years old, and um, 
my parents had the old 70s liquor cabinet with the drop-down thing, and I looked in there, and there was, like, this vodka bottle. I didn't have any idea what it was, and it was clear. So I thought, well, who's going to see that? So in my brilliance, <clears throat> I took one of those, you guys will remember, those old-school Tupperware cups that used to have the lid on them, and I filled it to the top with vodka, and I went to practice. And uh, at that time, my coaches had bought um, a roller skating rink, and so all of their kids um, would kind of work behind the counter and stuff like that. So I have the brilliant idea that um, I'm going to go behind the counter and get a huge Mountain Dew and just pour almost all of that in there. The problem is, is that I was born without the sense of smell, truly, so never thought, never occurred to me that uh, that thing was going to reek like nobody's business and that I might get caught, which I did almost immediately because you could smell it from, you know, across the room. And um, why I mention this is because I didn't even, it wasn't even so much I didn't think at the time about even drinking. It was about getting you to like me because I shared it with a friend, look at what I have, and then she was never allowed to talk to me again. And I got in some big trouble and because of the shame and embarrassment, I quit skating. And what I realized today is that was really one of my first consequences of doing that. You know, and so um, made it through junior high, went to high school. And in high school, I was, um, I was the, I guess you'd say, the very good born-again Christian girl. Um, I got hooked up with a girl's family from grade school that I was in campfire girls with, and um, they were devout, and um, they said, come with us, so I did, and everything in high school was about, and everybody has their own experience, this is how it was for me, um, everything was about, you know, we have to save everybody, that's a huge responsibility, you know, my parents were not born again Christians, and I was responsible for them going to hell or not. You know, we couldn't listen to certain music. We couldn't have boyfriends. We couldn't do any of these things. And so everybody around me was doing that. You know, I had this little skater boyfriend who's like my first love, and I will never forget. I used to go in, um, to his house and sit on one of those electrical boxes and read the Bible to him and witness to him. And bless his heart, he would just sit there and <laughs> be like, oh, okay, honey. But... um. So that's how, you know, it went in high school. And um, when I became a senior, you know, you always have a senior trip. And everybody knew how I was, you know. And uh, so it comes time for the senior trip, and it's, um, they're going to Rocky Point. And uh, I say, well, see, he, and I, you know, I say, well, I'm going to go. And they said, oh, you don't want to go. And I said, no, really, I want to go. They said, you do not want to go. And I'm oblivious. And I said, why? That sounds like fun. Everybody's going. They're like, you're not into what happens there, and you really don't want to go. But I was bound and determined, and so I went. And um, <clears throat> this is where it all began. Um, I went, and uh, my first drunk was uh, six Long Island iced teas, some shots, and a beer. And... Uh, I had no recollection of anything. But what I did know was that the next morning I woke up under a truck on the beach and nobody would talk to me. And everyone kept saying, you are the biggest hypocrite. Stay away from us. We hate you. Whatever. I still have no idea what they're talking about. 
So we go back to school, and it's time for graduation practice. And I always say, because it's true, it was like a bad after-school special. We would sit there, and like they would announce the names or the marching or whatever, and the stands would go in an uproar over me. I was completely ostracized. And there was one girl who something similar had happened to, and we kind of clung together. So everybody was going to this college. We went to another one. And... Um, you know, we would drive out to Tempe, and we would do things out there. And, uh, you know, I kind of, since that experience, would maybe drink a little bit, but it was still no big deal. And so now I have, you know, this, I have no idea what happened. They said, you're horrible, you did this, how dare you, what kind of person are you? And um, so I'm feeling pretty bad about myself, because if I need you to like me really, really bad, that's my existence. Um, I mean, that's the thing that would kill me. <clears throat> and you don't, all, all, none of you do, this is not good. So we started going out, to, we graduate, and we start hanging out in Tempe, and this girl and I went to a different college, and I ended up dropping out because it was just too hard. It was too hard. And the interesting thing is, believe it or not, <clears throat> excuse me, we would go out there, and we would go out like almost every night. And, you know, at that time, I don't know what they have now, but they had like teen clubs and stuff like that. And um, where there was no alcohol, and, you know, we would either have some or wouldn't, but we would go, and it started to be where we would meet people, because it's a whole different group of people out there, and we'd introduce ourselves, and we'd start talking, and these people would say, oh my gosh, I've heard of you, aren't you that girl from Rocky Point? (laughs) It had made it all the way out there. So basically, after a couple years of this, I was trying to do the right thing. I was just trying to stay afloat, you know, and um, really depressed, and it was it hurt. And after hearing this for two years, or about that, um, you know, some more stuff happened, and finally I said, okay, fine. If that's what you think I am, that's going to be exactly what I am, and I'm going to show you I'm going to be the best one there is. And it went from there. The drinking started all the time. Um, I would never wake up at home. Um, and yes, I'm five foot two. I looked about like this then, and I would have the cops called on me. <clears throat> I would be so obnoxious and loud. Um, I would get into fights. I would. My big thing was I have no idea. I was very angry, but I would go to a bar. And I would go through the whole gamut of, now I'm really happy, now I'm really loud, now I love everybody, now I hate everybody, now I'm going to die, oh, please take care of me. And then I'd be really angry, and I would go up to like 300-pound guys in a bar and be like, you, let's take it outside. (laughs) And I could not understand why there was a problem. And so this went on for a while, and at this time, during all of this, I worked at American Express, and... um, uh, I started there when I was about 20 years old, and um, I turned 21 while I worked there. And um, at midnight, because you used to be able to do this, um, I went out to Tempe, and I went to a bar at midnight on my 21st birthday. And I got alcohol poisoning. And the next day was my this big party, and I was so mad because I would, could only drink water, and I just felt horrible. Oh, I'm never going to do that again. But then we go to the bar, and I'm pissed that I can't drink. <clears throat> So I was working at American Express, and um, 
it just, you know, I got promoted quick, but people were real resentful, and I couldn't understand why I understand today because I was smart enough to get promoted, but I wasn't behaving like I should have been. And um, uh, around that time, like I said, I was 21, maybe 22 by this time, um, I... (laughs) I finally saved up money and went on vacation, my first vacation by myself, and I flew to Indiana um, to see a friend that I had worked with that lived here. And uh, I went, and I flew on Saturday night, and Sunday morning, that girl came into the room with the phone, and she sat down next to me, and she handed it to me, and I was like, what is going on? She put her arm around me. And I said, hello, and it was my mother. And my mom said, um, I have to tell you something. And I said, okay. And she said, you don't have to come home. And I said, okay. And she said, um, your grandpa murdered your grandma and shot himself. And now they live down the street from us at that time. She's like, but you don't have to go home. Enjoy your vacation. <laughs> I said, well, that's not happening. So I went home. And um, my grandpa had set it up because, like I said, they lived kind of down the street from us a mile or two, um, where he would have the whole family, people from Jersey, you know, all of them here to find them all at the same time. Well, my parents were the closest. So my parents had to walk in and find this. And, um, you know, I was already struggling, and I think that was just it. The boyfriend broke up with me, so now he doesn't like me, and I'm going through this and whatever, and I just could not keep it together. and I just went to town. I started drinking. I started going out every night. Um, And, uh, you know, in the meantime, I had been introduced by my mother through a different 12-step group, you know, to AA. And um, I had gone a couple times. Like, I remember I went to the, I don't know if you guys remember the old New Hope Alano Club on 91st and Cactus. There was one there, and I went to AA, and I'm like, what am I doing here? And I, I pulled that whole, I don't even know if people say this anymore, but I was like, I'm Kelly, and um, I have a desire to stop drinking, which I didn't, but I thought if I didn't say that, they would kick me out. (laughs) And so I think I talked about trying to not smoke or something, and um, it was was odd. So I I would kind of hit these things every so often, and I would go to therapy, and I was going to the doctor, and all this stuff's going on. And... um, you know, I decided the best thing for me was probably just to get drunk. And, you know, I had this boyfriend who lived out in Tempe, and um, he was just as more messed up even than I was, to be honest with you. I think he still is. And um, we would beat each other up and try and run over each other with the car. And, you know, I thought this was the greatest thing. Like, let's get married, you know? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that was my life for a few years. And, um, I never had a fake ID or never did that. So the bar started at 21. Um, so it was really crazy. You know, all of it was crazy. And, and, but that's what we were supposed to do. Aren't we in college? That's a college town. Isn't that, you know, what we do? And um, all I knew was that there was always consequences. And um, I didn't get that that wasn't normal, you know. And um, I get kicked out of the house a few years prior to that and um, because my mother was in that whole, I don't even know if they still have it, but that tough love class. And so she decided it was time for me to go. So I had this, um, I thought it was the greatest thing ever, this pay-by-the-week apartment on 39th Avenue in Indian School. 
And I had all kinds of hoods over there and whatever, and I just thought, look at me. <laughs> and that was how everything took off. I mean, I was dating people that, oh, I have to go to prison for a month, and I'll see you when I get out, and whatever. <laughs> so in the meantime, you know, like I said, I'm still working at American Express, and, you know, things are starting to go downhill. You know, and back to this I can't smell thing, I did not know that when you drink like that, it emanates out of your body and people can smell it. So I would be calling in or I'd be like, I'm going to be late. I have the flu. And I'd go in there and I just stink. You know, they'd find me. We used to be able to smoke inside on, we call it the smoking bridge. And they'd find me passed out in the chair in there. And I could not understand what the problem was. I don't feel good. Don't you get it? How, why are you being so harsh? I was late. I was missing work. All this stuff was happening. In the meantime, I'm trying to go to the doctor. Don't drink on these meds. Okay. So I start going to this meeting out um, that I positioned, it was positioned by the bar where I used to drink at. And um, I would go and tell you all everything, it was Tempe bloopers, everything you, I thought you wanted to hear, which I thought was very profound, and now I know was like, this girl is so, has no clue. And then I would drive to the bar, and I'd buy a beer, and I'd set it down, and I'd go, how long can it be before I drink this? And like, if I made it an hour, I'd be like, yes, progress, you know? I'm, I don't have a problem, I made it a whole hour. And this was just insanity for a few years. And um, so I'm 24 years old. You know, this has all been going on for a few years. And um, I'm at work one day. And, you know, that's a big company. You know, you've got the whole nurse thing and this and that and the other thing. And uh, it was really hard to get leave there. You know, it was like an act of God to get them to put you out on leave. And I started feeling a little bit prior to that, I'd get like these like, raging things where I felt like I was dying. And one day I was sitting in my cubicle at my computer and all of a sudden I felt like I was going to I needed to pick up that computer and just throw it through the wall. I mean, I was like losing it. So I went down to the nurse. I remember her name was Ruby. And Ruby said, I explained to her what's going on and Ruby says to me, I think you need to go out. I think you need to take some leave. And I was like, really? But I thought, and she's like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's fine. I think you need to go do that. And I thought, well, but it's not that bad. She's like, no, really, I've, I've authorized this. You need to go. So I did. And I started going to the doctor and the shrink and the therapist and all of those things. And um, now I'm getting more medication because I find out, well, that rage I was feeling and the complete like I'm going to die is major panic attacks. Don't drink on this. Okay. Now we've upped the meds. They really meant it when they said don't drink on this because the rest of my drinking career didn't last very long after that. Um, <clears throat> I, it started getting crazier and crazier. There's fights. The cops are being called. Um, I'm getting arrested for my behavior. You know, the whole thing. And I just wanted to die. And in the meantime, you know, it's all about the boys. You leave, I'm going to die. So I want to die, so I'll drink more. And if I drink more, then I can go out with another boy, and we'll start this all over again. And it was a vicious cycle. And um, so the last night I drank, um, I happened to see uh, this guy that I had gone to high school with that was one of the people who I had been friends with and hated me the most for that episode in Rocky Point. And prior to that, I had started having a few flashbacks, and I had, like, three snapshot visions in my mind. And I could see the three different places that I was that night. 
And what I realized was um, I did not do what they said I did. It was done to me. And it was pretty scary. And so I, you know, we're talking, how are you? And I'm like, listen, just so you know, this is what happened. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sorry and whatever. And he's like, give me a call. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And a couple weeks later, I was in treatment. So I got that $40,000 big book. And when you go to treatment, I didn't know that I had an alcohol problem. I really, I really didn't know. I just knew I had lots of problems and I didn't want to live. And so, you know, I always say I caught alcoholism in there, but I still wasn't sure. And so if any of you have ever been to treatment, I'm sure you. I went to actually the Meadows up in Wickenburg. Um, you probably know that they set you up with armor, relapse prevention plan, and you're going to go to this 12-step group for this and this and this and this and this, and you need to sponsor and you need to do all these things. And so I left, and I did. And it was crazy-making. Trying to work the steps and have a sponsor in about six different 12-step programs is crazy. And, um, you know, I tried to focus in AA, and I had a sponsor, and I think we got to, like, step two or something. And I was just, it just wasn't feeling it. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm 24 years old. I could not relate with the younger people, and I couldn't relate with the older people. And, you know, I thought I can't go anywhere. All my friends are at the bar. I don't know what to do. And so I had this other person that he actually um, skipped out of treatment and uh, that I had known and uh, just happened that he was there. And we would go to, like, concerts and, like, drink, like, a bunch of Cokes and smoke eight packs of cigarettes and just try and be like, this is fun. We can do this. And, you know, they say in treatment, don't do this. I did it. Don't do this. I did it. Couldn't understand why I didn't feel any better. And so um, I was in and out of meetings. I didn't understand the way this works like I do today. And, uh, you know, I'd show up every once in a while to get a chip and say, look at me, look what I did, and then I'd disappear for a while. And, you know, the, when I was going to meetings, stuff like this or up north, whatever, did not exist. Like I went to places like You Can Too Club and Squirrel Club and downtown where you need to be packing and the whole thing, and you were like a god. You were an old-timer if you had a year. I did honestly I didn't realize people do this for the rest of their lives and so I'm like I got this so um, I was about two years sober and um, still not convinced of anything but knowing I got to do something and if at least if I go here maybe I'll feel better and if I tell you what I think you want to hear then you'll like me and I desperately need people to like me now because now I'm sober too I have nothing to to fix this and um, I have no friends you know so I would go, and um, I just was, you know, and forgive me for saying this, but this is my 24-year-old brain, went, you know, this sucks. I am destined to a life of drinking coffee and shopping at Sears for the rest of my life. You know, all these people, they're all the old-timers, whatever. They're like, come with us. And I'm like, I don't want to go sit at Denny's. I'm like, that's lame, you know, whatever. And I just... I couldn't wrap my brain around it. But I wanted to feel better, so I would go, and then I would suffocate you, and then, you know, I would wonder why you would disappear and whatever. And <clears throat> I believe I was about two years sober, and um, I'm feeling really bad. You know, and that guy that I told you about that I saw the last night I was drinking, that was a big part of that Rocky Point thing, 
When I got back from treatment, I ended up, he called. He's like, where have you been? I go, I'm in rehab. I'm sober now. He's like, really? I go, yeah. Do you still want to hang out with me? He's like, okay. So I hang out with him, and then three months' time, like, oh, we're going to get married. That's my thinking. He's it. This is the answer to everything. I need nothing. Well, that didn't go well. And, um, you know, I'm two years sober, and um, I took 500,000 milligrams of Tylenol and ended up in the hospital. And... um, that's not good. I just wanted to die, and I was so mad that it didn't work. You know, and so I got out of there, and I still feel the same. They're like, go here, go here. I just can't get it. So what do I do? A little time passes, and I'm lonely, and I have no friends, and I feel horrible. So I call that guy at the bar that we tried to run each other over. (laughs) How are you? (coughs) Sober now? Really? No concept of that. We used to have this thing going where we would hang out and do the deal and it would be a contest to see how long he could not drink, because I couldn't hang out with him. He was drinking. So at this particular time, it was right before New Year's, and I think we made it like a month. And then he disappeared. He'd always disappear. Well, he disappeared, and then about six weeks later, my, um, I went to the doctor, and I was pregnant. But the problem is, is that when he disappeared, this other guy had been asking me out, and to feel better, I went, well, okay, yeah, I have you know something to take my attention to make me feel better. And I didn't know whose it was. So now I was the kind of girl that, you know, never wanted to get married and never wanted to have kids. And I was like, don't talk to me about your kids. Don't bring them around me. For God's sake, don't invite me to your baby shower. I don't want to know. Now I can't take care of myself. I'm completely loony, and I have a kid. I also am super phobic of hospitals. I had been ever since I was little. And she decides to come two months early. So now I'm in the hospital for like a month and a half. With a shadow, do you know what a shadow is? A shadow is somebody who sits with you 24 hours a day so you don't harm yourself. And, um, you know, what they tell you in treatment, you're as sick as your secrets. So I had none, and the entire staff knew everything about me. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the day that, uh, because I need you to like me, so if I reach out to you, you will. Needless to say, the day I brought her home, CPS was waiting at my door. And uh, they said, oh, this is unfounded, whatever. But I was mad and scared. And so I said to myself, well, um, I never would have chosen this, but she's here. And in that moment, I realized I really felt this inner thing like God had given her to me to give me a purpose to live. And if she could help me stay alive, I could get better, you know, by her being there and in turn end up helping somebody else. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. And for the next seven years, um, I threw myself into that kid. It was every bit of energy I had was her, went to her. And um, she was about seven years old or so, and I was losing it. And I knew, always knew someday I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to do something. And I called my mom and I said, um, I need to find a new therapist. I need to do something. She goes, why don't you just go to an AA meeting? I go, because that's not it. I think it's these other 12 things that I have that I'm supposed to go there. And she goes, just go. I'll watch her. So I went. And I remember I was a couple months past my 10-year birthday. And uh, I walked in late to a meeting at the Dev of the Desert. And just in time for the chips, I collected my chip. Look at me, I'm here. And they said, how'd you do it? And I rambled some crap that I thought sounded good. And they were all looking at me. And there's all these old timers in there. And this is how I was. I remember sitting there thinking, why are all these people here? Are they all on the verge of relapse? 
Because back where I came from, you were a god if an old-timer if you had a year. And so I just didn't get it. But they, they talked to me. They were nice. Because I had tried to go to AA a little bit, you know, throughout um, the sober time when I would, I'd go to the bars and I was into, you know, the rockabilly scene and swing dancing and all this stuff. And I'd actually met a few sober people. And so I'd go to meetings out there and, you know, they were like, if you don't do it exactly like this, get out, you know. And I just was like, I don't know where I belong. So I went back. These people paid attention to me. So I went back the next day. I was very angry. I never had anything good to say. And I was in this meeting the second night, and the topic was like joy or something about the glass being half full. And uh, I, my number gets called, and I say, blank the glass um, being half full. I don't even have a glass. And um, so then after a while, I was, you're the girl without a glass. And I'm like, this crap just follows me everywhere. So I ended up hanging around. And after about four months, somebody was like, when are you going to get a sponsor? I'm like, I am just passing through. I haven't found this other thing yet. And they're like, you really need a sponsor. No, I don't. And they wouldn't get off my back. So finally one day they said, see that lady over there? She has what you want. Go ask her. So I'm like, fine, I'll just go talk to her. So she says, let's meet, let's have coffee, let's talk and see if we're a good fit. So I drive to her house, and I go into this whole half-hour dissertation about, I appreciate your time. I'm sorry to waste it. This is my story. This is what it's at. I don't belong in AA. I belong over here. And she said, okay. Well, Kelly, um, that's all well and good. She said, I can't tell you whether you belong here or not. But what I can tell you is, is that if you work these steps searchingly, searchingly and fearlessly, you will cover it all. Okay. And she said, and you also sound like pretty much most women in AA. Baffled by that. At that point, that was the beginning of where I am today. Um, I try to get through the steps with her. Step one, I always struggled with step one because I still had that in the back of my head. I don't belong here. I'm not like you. You drink different than me. What if it was just a bad thing that occurred because I was in a bad way? So I would do the one, two, three dance. You know, the God thing, I was really warped about the God thing, step two, because, you know, of what I had gone through. You know, we used to sit in youth group and watch videos of people getting their heads cut off with a guillotine at the time of the rapture. You know, I was, did, didn't get it, you know. Um, so steps one, two, and three, I would, you know, I'd go, okay, and I'd parrot what they'd say, but I just wouldn't feel it. So I'd run away. And then I'd start again, and then I'd run away. So it's time to get to my four-step. What do I do? I'm not prepared. I don't want to go through all that. I'm more, I'm very anal, and so I'm more worried about how it's going to look and what typeset I'm going to use and how it's going to fit on the computer than putting anything on there. And um, I ended up firing her. I fired her. And um, I got the sponsor I have today, and, um, you know, bless her heart. You know, all you people tolerated me when I was absolutely intolerable and I didn't know I was intolerable and I earned the nickname Angry Kelly that was next after you don't have a glass because I was so mad all the time I had nothing good to say and I used to pride myself on that but apparently that's frowned upon in Alcoholics Anonymous so um, so she started to try and take me through the steps again she's like well where'd you leave off and I said four and so you know I didn't really feel secure but I thought well I'll go ahead and start this so I do and it's all like 10 point times New Roman all on this chart on the computer and I do this and I go to her and um, 
it, I did it, and it was, like, ridiculous. Like, I, she just was shaking her head, like, okay. So, because I'm not prepared, I'm, I'm not spiritually fit at all, everything was on self-will, you know, I can't seem to continue. I do the fifth step, and I can't figure out why I'm not ready to do six and seven. So I start all over again. I must have done four or five uh, fourth and fifth steps with her in, in, like, maybe a year or two. And I tell you what, this lady was like, you know, I just, I don't think she's going to make it. I don't think she's going to make it. She didn't tell me that. And here I am thinking, well, now I've done this, so I, I know lots of things. I couldn't figure out why nobody wanted me to sponsor them. You know, I couldn't figure out why they didn't want to hear the profound things I had to say or that nobody wanted me to speak or, you know, do any of that. And, um, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally I realized one day I said, this is it. I've tried everything there is to try. This is my last stop. And it's probably not going to work because I'm different. I'm terminally unique. But I guess, fine, I'll just do it. So I threw up my hands and I called her one day and I said, and this was horrible to me because it was all about pride. I'm like 12 years sober at this time. And I said, treat me like a newcomer. I want to start on page one. Okay. So that's what we did. And we met every Friday night at her house. And here was the breaking point for me. We started page one, and we went through. And she, you know, don't you touch anything in that book till we do it. So I'm underlining, and I'm writing stuff, and she's explaining. And I wanted to absorb all of it because I knew this was it. And um, so one day, I think we were, like, in the middle of – we had made it all the way through, and we were in the middle of, like, step two or three. And I was asking all these questions, and I asked her something. I can't remember what it was. And she looked up at me, and she said – Nobody has ever explained these things to you this way? And I said, no. And she said, this makes so much sense to me now. And I said, there's nothing wrong with me? She goes, no, honey. You just haven't had the right experience. And from that point, I thought, I just might belong here. You know, I got one, two, and three. I tried my very, very best, but I kept going because I realized it didn't have to be perfect. And I did another step four. And then I did another step five. But this time, there was no holes barred. I put everything on there, whether it was politically correct or not. I think she forbade me from using the computer because she's like, you are way too worried about what this looks like. Just forget it and put it on there. Um, and uh, I never, ever thought I'd have relief. You know, and I had some. And, uh, uh, and she had heard quite a few from me. But this time, it was different. And, you know... I went through six and seven. I got to tell you, today six and seven are are my favorite steps. And um, what my sponsor did with me, and what I do with girls I sponsor is, you know, a lot of people, old timers, you'll hear, will say, "There's such a small part in the big book, and you just kind of read it and go through it, and you're next." Um, the twelve and twelves here today, you know, all of those things, and um, you know. Throughout this, she would do this anyway, but specifically for these, she'd give us an assignment. And the assignment was that we had to do the prayer, we had to read the big book, and then um, for step six, because um, we have a list, and she would let you know every single one of your character defects when you got done with your fifth step, and I had, like, almost all of them that were on that list. And um, she said, okay, now you need to read this, and then what you need to do is you need to take these character defects and you need to go right down, look them up, get the definition, and go right down the opposite action. And she said, don't think you're going to go in there and say, oh, well, I'm dishonest. So the opposite is, well, I'll just be honest. 
It was way more complicated than that. You know, so I really had to think and I, because I didn't know how to do those things. So how can I move on if I don't know how to do something different? So, you know, like for, I think the first one I did do was dishonest, you know. So instead of just saying, well, I'm going to be honest, I would say, or it said, I have to do things that only the things that I'm not afraid of people knowing about because I don't have to lie, you know. Um, and it went on like that. And I was really grateful for that because by the time um, in step seven when we got through that and, you know, I had to let her know these things, some of them I was stuck on, you know, and she gave me help. And I still keep that list today when I'm having a no-brainer and I'm like, what do I do? I need to go back to basics. And I'm like, what's the opposite action? You know, step eight, my amends list was huge. Um, and uh, when I did that with her, there was a lot of things on there that I obviously, just like everybody else, didn't need to make amends for. And the one thing that I found out was sometimes things just happen to us, and that's just the way it is. And I can be resentful about it, but there's no amends to make. You know, I have to get rid of that. And um, so I started making amends. I still have a, you know, my list was pretty long because there's lots of people, lots of people on there. Um and uh, so, and the sad part was, is that at least half, if not more, of that list was things I had done in sobriety. <sighs> running around on self-will. So basically years about two through, through ten, eight years in there, I was running around on self-will. Still didn't drink, kind of went here, kind of went there, didn't do this. So, you know, step ten, I was like, okay, I got that. I don't even remember what she had us do. Step eleven, okay, I get that. You know, we get through that. And I'm comprehending by now. We get to step 12, and I'm thinking, I've made it. It's a miracle. Now I have, I've earned my seat, and um, I can start behaving, and I get this. And um, she's like, no, well, now you need to really be of service. And I always thought, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I really always thought being of service and sponsoring people were like option boxes on a checklist that you could check or not check. And I was like, I don't need to check those. You know, I got too much on my plate. And that's not acceptable to her. So, um, you know, I started doing some more and maybe in the home group or, you know, whatever it was. And, you know, during all of this time before, you know, I had the spiritual awakening from finally working all the steps in the way I was supposed to do, um, all this time I had been really embarrassed because uh, my sponsor always used to say, you know, I would demand respect, and she would say, well, Kelly, I think it was at the time I was 12 years, she'd say, well, Kelly, if you wanted to be treated like somebody with 12 years of sobriety, you need to behave like somebody with 12 years of sobriety. And um, I thought that I was, but apparently I was not. I know today I certainly wasn't. Like, I laugh at some things. I was like, didn't, wasn't, what about when I did that? She goes, yeah, no. I go, I, I didn't fool with this? No. I go, well, what about when I said this from up there? Yeah, no. We were all just shaking our heads waiting for you to get it. And I'm like, Really? I didn't fool anybody, and she's like, yeah, no. So what I noticed was I had been trying the whole time to do something different, but it wasn't in here. I started doing things different, and um, I started making more sense. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd be up at the podium, and I said to myself one day, you know, and it was really based on the fact that she said, Kelly, I know you struggle, but there has to be a God because there's no way that you could have stayed sober all that time without doing what you're doing without one. And, uh, you know, that whole thing about if God is in everything, he's nothing. One day I was at the podium and I thought to myself, 
I need to quit acting like I have all this time or that I've done it this way because people know. And so maybe if I say something, I'll feel embarrassed and my ego will take a shot, but I can't hold this in anymore. And I did. And I had to choose our home group, which is from the podium with like 100 people, to decide at that moment that I should put that in whatever I was sharing. And about 10 people came up to me after that. There was some women with 20 years of sobriety, you know, 30. I mean, a ton of people that said, thanks for being honest, because I did the same thing. It's exactly what I did. My sponsor, it took her about eight years before she actually did the deal. And so, you know, I, in my story today, you know, I talk about it. I quit apologizing for that. Because if God isn't everything, he's nothing in my mind. So that means it happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And I get it today. You know, and I don't know, you know, I can't say, maybe I wouldn't have appreciated it then. I didn't appreciate anything. But I know that this is where I belong today, and it's my lifeline. You know, and so it absolutely, the promises have come true. You know, um, you guys didn't know what you were talking about. I'm not terminally unique. You know, where I struggled with is, you know, drinking from basically 17 to 24. The hardest part I realized that I had was I'm one of those people in the big book that they talk about that has a lot of not yets. And when you don't have a lot of not yets, you think, at least for me, well, hasn't happened. So, you know, I didn't go to jail. I don't know how, but I didn't end up going to jail and stay there. You know, I didn't get a DUI. I didn't lose my house. I still had money. You know, all of these things. And, but I couldn't take care of myself at all. Like, I couldn't even go out to the mailbox. Um, but, you know, so... I'm okay, maybe this isn't, doesn't apply to me. And, and um, you know, you hear that it doesn't matter, you know, what you drink or how much you drink, it's what happens when you do drink. And that's what I held on to. And I really related to the not yets. And I came to a point where I realized that my disease, one of the side effects is it has, for me, a built-in thing with my brain that's going to tell me it's okay. So if I just know that's happening, you know, it's just like, oh, my head hurts you know, or, oh, my toe is bruised. That's just something that's going to happen, and I have to ignore it. Today, um, you know, I would say probably for about, it's progressively gotten more, but for the past two years at least, I have been involved in more service than I even know what to do with. You know, I had to at a point talk with my sponsor, and she's like, I think your life's becoming unmanageable. You have way too many service commitments. And, um, I get it. I get it today. It's not an option. You know, it's not an option for me. Because I will tell you that I still suffer um, from some of those same things that I suffered from in the beginning. But believe it or not, and I used to always break commitments. And uh, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't leave the house, you know. And today, for whatever reason, I will not want to leave the house. I will not want to go. I feel like crap. But I will not miss a service commitment. And I won't say no. Um... So, you know, today it's a lot different. You know, it's a lot different when you sponsor people because then you get why your sponsor gets so irritated with you. You know, you get the experience and you learn a lot. And, you know, um, today life is different. And, um, you know, there are times, there's been times in the past few years where I'm like, I still have a bunch of those not yet. And then I turn around and know what to do. 
I got to go talk to the newcomer. I got to go help somebody else. You know, I, I have to be of service. And, you know, that's, that's what life is like for me today. You know, I get calls from random people like Mike that go, well, would you speak for us? And I don't know you, but, you know, we'll try. Or I have somebody that will say, which is really cool for me, you know, um, which I never had happened before, understandably. You know, they'll call and I'll say, well, where'd you get my number? And they're like, we remember you seeing you at this service thing or this event or whatever with the intergroup. Sure you want me to speak? They're like, yeah. So the most important thing that I've been learning, because I never cared what you thought of me, I prided myself on being a bitch. You know, I wanted you to like me, but since you already didn't, then I was just going to push you away first, and that's when it got really bad, is, um, you know, my sponsor would always say, Kelly, um, it's not about intent, it's about your actions. People see what you do. And I always hated that, you know, they would always say, well, people are watching. They're seeing what you do. And you know what? It's true. And I'm so glad. It took me about two years after I worked the steps to, um, all I want to do, I thought, if I just accomplished um, losing that name, that nickname, Angry Kelly, I will have succeeded. And uh, I was hanging out with people that knew me before, and they were still calling me that, and I was so mad. But then that's, like, self-defeating because now I'm mad, so I'm Angry (laughs) Kelly. And I just, you know, did what was what I felt to do. It was just different. I wasn't trying. And I will never forget one day, um, we were all together and, uh, uh, somebody, um, or I had left and, and the people, somebody had said, um, which Kelly, angry Kelly. And the person that apparently I found out had started it said, you know, we can't call her that anymore because it's just not true. And I thought I have arrived. So, you know, today to have somebody call me, um, you know, it's always a God thing, but, you know, to have somebody call me and say, I've seen, you know, I've seen you in action, and I want you to come, you know, that's not about me, that's about God at work and this program at work, but it's good to know that I can be, you know, so inappropriate sometimes, maybe more often than I would like to be, but, you know, I have some standards today, and, you know, it's just confirmation for me with whatever happens with that, that, um, I am changed and that I can have the, you know, the ability to have a different impact on somebody today because spending 30 plus something years of your life just being so angry and repelling everybody, you know, it's different. It's different today. So, um, I really think that's probably it. I hope that you're not disappointed that you recorded this and or that I answered the phone. And, um, you know, it's always an honor and a privilege to speak in a medium of Alcoholics Anonymous. So thank you for having me and i um, glad to be here. Thanks, Kelly.